Assalamu alaikum. You're tuned into Islamic History 2020 with your host Muhammad Alam Gia. And I'm really pleased to be delivering this particular podcast because it was this particular podcast that really want, made me want to share Islamic history with a wider audience. Because you, you come across stories of individuals and they really touch your heart. And this particular story touched my heart so much so that for three or four days after learning about this individual, I found myself supplicating to God at unusual times. I'm walking on the street thinking about, the, you know, what happened to uh, this person. And I would supplicate to God, God, please elevate this person, elevate this man to the highest levels of heaven. This person I'm talking about, his name is Hujr ibn Adihi. He is a Sahaba of the Prophet. Sahaba is a companion. Somebody who physically saw the Prophet with his own eyes. He's classified as a companion. So he's somebody that lived um, around about the time of the Prophet. And he died in 660 CE. And I know a lot of my podcasts have been medieval sect times around the Crusaders. But we're going back in time now. And we're going to talk about this particular individual. I'm also going to start the podcast. And I've never done this on any of the other ones with Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. That means in the name of God, the most merciful, the extremely merciful. And the reason I'm doing that is because I really want to do this podcast justice. I really want to do narrating the story of Hujr ibn Adihi justice. And I hope that I'm able to, because it's a story about somebody who's steadfast, was committed to the truth, to the absolute last moment. And he never faltered. He never stood back from the principles he believed in. And I think there's lessons to be learnt for everyone from the story of Hujr ibn Adihi. And in order to start the story, now Hujr ibn Adihi, he died in 660 CE. He lived at the time of the Prophet. So we would assume that we'd start our story there, you know, around about the time of the Prophet or onwards before his death. But no, we're going to start our story in May 2013, in the Middle East, in the Levant, in Syria, in a small town just outside of Damascus called Adraha. There, the Syrian Free Rebel Army, in May 2013, under the cameras of the world, desecrated a Shia, a grave that was a Shia shrine. They didn't just desecrate it, they also exhumed the body and had the body, take, had pictures taken of it. The person and they desecrated, the grave of the person they desecrated was a man called Hujr ibn Adihi. I want to come back to that story. Now we're going to go 36 years before his death in Persia. Hujr was a part of an expedition led by the Muslim commander, General Saad ibn Abi Waqqas in taking Persian territory. Saad ibn Abi Waqqas, he's another heavyweight. He's a general commander of the uh, Muslim army. The, the expeditions and his life is phenomenal. I recommend reading about it. He had replaced 
Khalid ibn Walid, known as the sword of Allah, called by the Prophet, peace be upon him, as the sword of Allah, possibly the greatest military general that has ever lived. And I'm not just saying that out of a personal opinion, that is the opinion of military commanders and literatures, writers of um, military literature. So that would probably indicate for all those Islamic history fans that we're living in the times of Umar radiallahu anhu, the third, sorry, the second caliph of the Muslim empire after the death of the Prophet. So Abu Bakr has now died and Umar radiallahu anhu has moved on. And just before I carry on, I'm going to say, I'm going to call these Sahabas, it's Islamic honor to say that when you say the name of the Prophet, you say, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. That means peace and blessings upon him. If you mention any of the companions, the Sahabas, the people who were the friends of the Prophet, companions of the Prophet, you would say, Radiallahu Anhu. This would just give a, a level of uh, dig, um, um, honor to them. And it says, may they rest in peace. May God elevate them. Now, um, in order for the narration of the story, I'm not going to say that after them. I have done uh, at the beginning. So under Saad ibn Abi Waqas's uh, leadership, Hujr is about to take uh, the Persian capital of Tessiphon. But in order to do so, they need to cross the river Tigris. Tigris. And in order to cross that, they need a boat. But unfortunately, the Persians have damaged or captured every single boat. So there's no real way to cross the river. Unless that is, you are a brazen Muslim commander with absolute belief in Allah. Saad ibn Abi Waqas, the general, the commander of this military expedition, had given the order to all of the Muslims to cross the river on horseback. Now you go Google River Tigris, it's not a small little lake with no currents. This is a fast-flowing current-led river. The river was flowing fast on that day. And the horses, these are strong Arab horses, they're neck high. The Muslims are riding on the top of the horses and there's a real risk that they're about to fall into the river and be claimed by the water. But their commitment to crossing that river and taking the capital Tessiphon and subsequently destroying the Sassanid Empire and bringing Islam and expanding the Muslim Empire across Persia, which is now Iran, was far greater to, than their fear of falling off the horse. And you know, the first wave crossed successfully under a, a barrage of arrows from the Sassanid vanguard on the other side. And now was the time for the second wave to cross. And in that second cross, uh, wave crossing was Hujr ibn Adihi. He was the front of the line front of the squadron of men and he crosses crossed over his side going forward as a good leader he looked back to check on his men and he saw as they were hesitating and they were nervous so he recited some verses from the quran in fact chapter 3 verse 145 where god says no person will die except by the command of allah he said that to his squadron in order to encourage them to get over to the other side and capture Tessiphon. And those words were in fact 
ring true 36 years later. And 36 years later, there had become a tradition across the Muslim empire. And it was a disgusting tradition and one that I don't agree with and many Sunni Muslims do not believe, agree with, but they did it anyway. That tradition was to curse the murderers of Uthman radiallahu anhu at every single sermon. Uthman was the third caliph. So remember I said that Umar was the second. We fast forwarded 36 years. There's and now been two other caliphs in fact. Uthman being the third. And he was murdered. And that murder had not really gone avenged. The Ali radiallahu anhu, Ali was the fourth caliph and he became the next caliph after Uthman and although he did his best to investigate the murder and identify the uh, murderers, he was in fact accused of not doing enough. And some went even further to say the murderers were, those people who were involved, were key to Ali being elected or becoming the next caliph. So some say Ali was protecting the killers. So to ensure that the people did not forget that, you know, the, the third Uth caliph, Uthman, had been murdered and the fourth caliph is not doing much about it, his cousin, Muawiyah, who was the head of the tribe that Uthman belonged to now, well, Uthman belonged to this tribe, and the head of that tribe is now Muawiyah, who is the governor of Syria, essentially. He would bring out the bloodied shirt of the Caliph Uthman that he got murdered in and display it outside of the mosques on Friday prayers. So as all of the Muslims would come in, they would see, they would see it. And in that sermon then, Muawiyah would go to curse the murderers, you know. But over time, what happened is that it wasn't just confined to cursing the murderers. They started to curse Ali. And this was the practice of most of the Muslims across all of the Islamic Empire when Muawiyah became the caliph of the Muslim Empire. They would curse the murderers of Ali, sorry, the murderers of Uthman, and they would curse Ali alongside him. And you know, this animosity between Muawiyah and Ali came to a real, you know, loggerheads at the Battle of Safin. And, you know, um, for those who don't know, I mean, it was a real problem at the time. This is this whole era we're talking about that is called the 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 first fitna, and you know Aisha radiallahu anhu. She is the pro wife's prophet, an honourable woman. You know that she led with some other commanders. She led an army against Ali, 
and they fought at the Battle of the Camel. So you can understand that this was a real issue. Who killed Uthman? Aisha was adamant she wanted to find the killers of Uthman and subsequently led to a war, a battle with Ali. And it led to another battle with Muawiyah. You know, Muawiyah was gunning for the caliphate and at the Battle of Safin, ultimately, um, he went head to head. So after Muawiyah became caliph, this practice was in fact rolled out across the whole Muslim lands. At every sermon, they would curse the murderers of Uthman and they would curse the murderer, murderers of Uthman, including Ali. And in fact, this, this custom was rolled out widespread and customary across the entire Umayyad era. And the only caliph that didn't do that was Caliph um, Abdulaziz. Um, he was the only one um, that didn't do it, but it continued after him. And this is the time Hujr ibn Adihi was growing old. You know, he's fought a number of battles. He's lived with the Prophet. He's growing old and he's um, living in, um, in, in, his, in, in this time frame. And he was a Sahaba that didn't accept the cursing of, the, um, of Ali. He just didn't, he just couldn't fathom it, you know. And as a Sunni Muslim myself, I couldn't fathom it as well. And if you go to any Sunni Muslim, they couldn't fathom cursing a, you know, such a highly respected person as Ali, the cousin of the Prophet, the son-in-law of the Prophet, you know, um, wasn't wasn't something that was acceptable. And Hujr was, was a war veteran in the, you know, as I said, he's a, he's a war veteran with the first and the second caliphate. He fought the wars of apostasy, apostasy which was under um, Abu Bakr's time. And he fought with the second caliph against the Persians. So, you know, he's a really highly respected um, individual. And now in Kufr, they're cursing Ali and Hujr just can't stand it. And he's fighting out against it. He's shouting out about against it. So I'll give you a bit of backstory around Kufr. Kufr and Basra in Iraq, they were, the, they were the strongholds of Ali. So loads of supporters of Ali were there. And they were real troublesome cities, you know, um, for the government. That is, for Muawiyah and the Islamic government. They had many rebellions there. There was civil disobedience there. And at the time of Muawiyah, those two cities were real problem, troublesome spots. So he, he um, sent in. Uh, somebody to manage Kufr and um, he was mental he was a really really strict governor I'll go as far as say he was a psychopathic governor to rule over these people he sent in Ziyad ibn Abihi Ziyad ibn Abihi translated as Ziyad son of his father was a bastard child and that's why, you know, in, 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 in Arabia at this time, your lineage and your heritage were important. There were people who had specialized in knowing the lineage of people. They were like, you know, you're the son of so-and-so and the son of so-and-so and the son of so-and-so. And you go all the way back generations and generations and generations. But Ziad, he was born out of wedlock, you know, with no real no knowledge of who his father was. So they used to call him son of his father. If you check the history books, 
you're actually call, he's called Ziad ibn Abi Sufyan. So what's that all about? I'll come to that. Ziad was an administrator for Ali in a nearby town. And he held off giving bayah to Muawiyah. So when Muawiyah took the caliphate, Ziad chose not to kind of accept him as the, his leader and didn't give him a legion, uh, an oath of allegiance until he was eventually subdued. And, you know, he, he was known for putting out fires. He was known for going into troublesome towns and putting, putting down rebellions. And he had, in fact, done that for Ali many times. And so he had a bit of a reputation about him as somebody who could control people and, you know, manage and administrate and govern areas, especially when they were troublesome and they were... Um, um, I can't give you an example, actually. You know, you've got people who just don't agree to the government policies and they have protests and they and they choose not to pay council tax and they, you know, etc., etc. It's the same thing. They just chose to fight against the government and they didn't agree with the government of Muawiyah. Um, or in that time, Ali. So Ali sent in Ziyad ibn Abihi. Um, so he was known for like putting down troublesome areas and controlling them and, and governing them. So Muawiyah wanted to give him... Um, the title of governor of Basra, but ultimately um, this his lineage would cause him a problem. So what Muawiyah did was to elevate him. He concocted this entire story of saying the Ziyad was actually Muawiyah's brother because his father Abi Sufyan um, had an illicit relationship or had some relationship with his mother. And so they just concocted this entire story, giving him credibility. And then Muawiyah was able to make him the governor of Basra. And remember, as I said, Basra was known for being really troublesome. And Ziyad was known for putting out troublesome um, uh, towns and subduing them. So, so in order to do so, he's created this entire story about how Muawiyah is brothers with Ziyad and you should respect Ziyad and that's why I'm sending my brother in to Basra to govern it. So anyway, that's who Ziyad is. Ziyad did extremely well in Basra and did put out all of the troublesome civil unrest and, um, you know, fight backs of the government. And he also took over um, Kufr. Kufr was managed by somebody called Mughira ibn Shutba. And when he died, Ziyad was given Kufr. So now he's taken over Basra, he's taken over Kufa. And to be honest, if you go forward many years, Ziyad actually becomes the first governor of the entire Iraq area and the viceroy or the, of Eastern Caliphate, of the Eastern Caliphate. He was the second strongest, second most powerful person in the entire Muslim empire after the um, Caliph Muawiyah. He even had coins minted in his name. I mean, this is a guy that came out of obscurity. He didn't know who his father was. Um, you know, he, was, he wasn't somebody who was rich. He didn't have noble blood in him. But he's become the second most powerful person. So, you know, he is, he is somebody to be, like, not admired because he's mental. Like, and we'll go into some of his mental policies later. But anyway, um, he, he's now taken over Kufr and... That's where Hujr ibn Adihi lives. 
and he's known for his inaugural speech at Basra. So the eloquence of speaking is what he was known for. And this speech he gave in Basra when he took over it, um, and remember, this was a troublesome town. He was known for how um, how eloquent that particular speech was and his policies in terms of beating down the rebellion. And he basically said, um, I'm going to beat it out of you. He, he was like, you know, if you behave, you can live in this town and you'll have freedoms and you have the rights to work and the rights to worship your God and earn money and, and, and live in peace and security. If you rebel, I will beat you <laughs> and I will kill you and I will execute you. Um, and so Basra and Kufa were real problematic states with civil re rebellion taking place regularly. Yeah. And to give you an example of some of the policies introduced by um, Ziad, he introduced a policy of a curfew. Anyone seen outside uh, post curfew time, which is after the uh, night prayers, was automatically executed. There was no discussions. There was no legal um, co courts. It was simply a case of you've broken policy of the curfew. You're going to be executed. And the reason for that is a lot of the rebels in Kufr and later on, sorry, in Basra and later on Kufr would meet in the night after prayers, meet in the night secretly in someone's house and plan a civil protest or a civil uproar. Yeah. So he he had this policy and. Once a traveller actually entered into Basra post-curfew time, he didn't know nothing about the city's curfews. He literally travelling and saw a town and entered into it. And he was immediately arrested and the next day brought in front of the governor and pleaded his case. He said, look, I didn't know. I'm a traveller. I'm literally coming into the city. I don't know what your policies are. Had I known, had there been a warning, I wouldn't have entered or entered more cautiously. I'm genuinely a um, innocent man and Ziad said you know what I actually believe you I do believe you I do believe you were not um, meeting up with rebels to cause social uproar you, you probably were just a traveler inadvertently came into my city after the curfew time however I'm gonna have to execute you to make a point that I'm serious about this curfew and he killed this traveler I mean what kind of person is he? he's not a very nice person at all um, and you know what um, if you fast forward a couple of years, you know, the grandchild of the Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him, and his grandchild Hussein was killed in Karbala, Karbala, it was Ziyad's son, Yazid, that authorized the killing of the grandchild of the Prophet. So you can understand the like bad blood run through this family's blood. And just to make you aware, Yazid that I'm talking about is not to be confused with Yazid, the son of Muawiyah, who also became the caliph at the same time as the death of the prophet's grandchild Hussein. So um, there's two Yazids. They're both they're both bad as each other, to be honest. One is the son of Muawiyah, a really poor leader, a really bored, poor caliph. And the second is the son of Ziyad who executed the grandchild of the prophet, peace be upon him. So you, do you know what? The second next generation that was coming, like their fathers were kind of bad, but their sons were very bad. Anyway, as I mentioned, Hujr ibn Adihi wasn't one to like not speak out about the government when he felt 
there was some injustice taking place and he certainly wasn't one of the people to curse the prophet uh, curse this Ali in, in the sermons and he certainly wasn't one to stay quiet about it he'd stand up and say no don't don't curse him and you know um, he, he had he, he definitely wasn't a, rebelli a rebellious type he wasn't part of the rebellion and the civil uproar the people that, that, that would cause the uproar and as a result they put the curfews in place um, he was just outspoken Hujur ibn Adihi was just an outspoken person and didn't agree with Ali being cursed and so the governor of Kufr kind of tolerated him a little bit like there are certain instances we can talk about later on whereby the governor tried to subdue him and you know make him kind of backtrack but generally because he was such a highly regarded um companion he was pretty much tolerated however when the governor Mughira died Ziyad took over Kufr he wasn't that tolerant and and so so they kind of come to loggerheads, really. So, Ziad is now the governor of Basra. In the sermon, he's doing what he normally does, cursing or cursing what's not what they normally would do, cursing Ali and the murderers of Uthman. Hujr doing what he normally does, shouting back, "You ain't the killers! Shut up! You're lying! Sit down! You're not! You're not cursing the." Ali, he's a righteous man. Anyway, he's doing what he's doing. But Ziyad isn't the previous governor. He he called him aside after the prayer and said, "Listen, me and you, we're going to lock heads on this. Next time, sit yourself down, keep your mouth shut. I'm warning you. Take this as a warning. This is from Ziyad, the psychopathic governor, right? So the following week, Ziyad standing up, giving his sermon, and Hujar, outspoken, um, decides to speak up about another matter. Ziyad's taken a long time for the sermon. Normally what happens on a Friday, there's a sermon, then there's a prayers, and then people go off and carry on business. But in that prayer time, all businesses are stopped, you know, everything is stopped. You just wait for the prayers. Ziyad's given a very long sermon, and what Hujr is doing, he's getting impatient, he's saying, As-Salah, pray, As-Salah, pray, come on, like, hurry up, hurry up, he's saying. And, and you know, some of his friends did the same, Hujr's friends did the same, come on, hurry up, we want the prayers, we want to get going, come on. Sermon's too long, pretty much. Ziyad decided that he would descend the pulpit. He decided that he would start the prayers. And he did. And he led the prayers. And Hujr went off after the prayers. But straight after, Ziyad ordered his police to go and arrest Hujr ibn Adihi. Because, as I said, this guy's... I can't think of the word. You know, there's a word that describes like people who are really, you know, self-centered. They're really like insulted by the smallest of uh, things. They're really trying to insecure and they're trying to prove themselves all the time. And this is the psychology of Ziad. I mean, his his whole life, his father, he doesn't know who his father is. We'd be called son of his father because people don't know who his father is. He's been insulting him his whole life. And he's been like, you know, cursed because of this because of his whole life so he's got this real his superiority complex and then and then for once you know the caliph has said no actually let's just tell people you're my brother and you're abi sufyan's son and you know he's given him credibility and he's given him credit you know credence and he's made him somebody and so ziad's really trying to hold on to this and so he's got hujah saying come on do your prayers hurry up 
he's being challenged. His, his authority has been being challenged. And so he's not somebody just going to let it go. He's ordered his police to go and arrest Hujar ibn Adihi and all the other people that are causing those problems. In the market, there was a massive, massive commotion because the police tried to arrest Hujar, but Hujar's mates, his health friends, helped him, you know, cause a distraction, hold the police back, and Hujar managed to escape. Ziyad, the governor, was very, very angry about this. He ordered a, 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 a entire search of the Al-Kinda neighborhood. So, Hujar ibn Adihi, he's from the Al-Kinda um, tribe and they all lived in one specific area so basically Ziyad ordered every single house to be um, searched and anybody that even looks remotely like they're supporting him they were arrested in the evening prayers that day then Ziyad made a massive announcement to the entire city anyone suspected of helping Hujar is going to be arrested and the people the, uh, the population knowing what Ziyad is like was like, we better help find Hujar because I don't want to be suspected of helping Hujar. Even not help, been look for him, sus indicates that you could be helping Hujar and Ziyad would have you executed. My, my lord, he executed a traveller who entered the city by accident. <laughs> so what's he going to do with somebody he thinks is helping his enemy, which is essentially what he's done, who he is. Hujar has become his enemy. So the people are looking for Hujar and the Hujar has been managed to keep stay on the run for a three days. He's evaded capture, although Ziyad's gone mental and, you know, arrested people all around him. He's arrested family members from his tribe. He's probably torturing them in his prison, trying to get information out of them. So three days have gone and Ziyad is getting madder and madder. But on the third day, Hujar recognizes this is a no-win situation, contacts the, um, sends a message or a word to the governor, Ziyad, and says, look, I will hand myself in on the condition you don't deal with me because Hujar knew that Ziyad was absolutely mental. I keep using that word and go look at him. This person is not a nice person whatsoever. So Hujar recognized that if he was going to be, you know, if, if the judge and the executioner was going to be Ziyad, he had no chance. So he said, I will hand myself in, but I want to be judged for my crimes by Muawiyah himself, by the caliph himself in Syria, in Damascus. Now, Ziyad didn't really want this to happen because he wanted to deal with Hujar himself. He didn't want somebody to go back to Muawiyah as if Ziyad's incompetent and not able to run his own cities. But at the same time, if he didn't hand himself in, the longer he stays on the run is challenging Ziyad's authority. And also, Hujar is a well-respected companion now. He could go to another city outside of Iraq and he could be given refuge by one of their governors. And, you know, just like we do in, in, the, in the UK or in the, in the US, because um, we have, I have listeners now in the US as well. I've been checking my analytics. We give refu refugee status. We say, look, you're going to be um, 
executed if you go back to your home country or you're going to be not um, given the rights and freedoms if you go back to your home country so we'll give you refuge in this country and you can't be extradited and that could have happened Ziyad is a respected person you could have went to anywhere really in the Muslim empire remember Muslim empire is expanding now so he could have been given um, refuge from any other governor and so Ziyad didn't want this so he said yeah okay cool come in I'm going to send you to Muawiyah for judgment. Hand yourself in. So Hujr did. Hujr was arrested. He was accused of breaking his pledge of allegiance to the caliph. And as much as um, Hujr is, um, um, you know, saying that I haven't really, haven't really broken my pledge of allegiance, he's been arrested for this. So Hujr sent him and his two sons and other supporters the history books say 12 or 13 in total were arrested with Hujr and sent to Damascus and in amongst those 12 or 14 were genuine genuinely people who actually were troublemakers they were of the early Shias the ones that really opposed the government believed the caliphate should have went to Ali radiallahu anhu and should have not went to Abu Bakr or Umar and they were real problem makers so in amongst the arrested are genuine troublemakers and also the two sons of Hujr so Ziyad sent him now over to Damascus you know, in chains, arrested, he's got army or sorry, his police escorting him, he's off. But he also sent with Hujr a letter for the Caliph. That letter was signed by 70 nobles of the city, 70 judges, commanders, noblemen, people who are really like upright peoples. And they signed it to say, basically, Hujr has been sent to you for the following crimes. He called war against the caliph. He said the caliph belonged to Ali. He, he said to attack government officials. He in fact also praised Ali. He encouraged the people to break the allegiance to the caliph. And he disbelieved in God. So this is the charges he's been sent to Muawiyah with. <laughs> this is a guy that was just telling Ziyad to just hurry up and pray. And the week before he refused to engage in the cursing of Ali he's now been called a disbeliever in God he's been set he's been called for calling war against the caliph put it into modern times you know you arrest somebody for treason he was ready to give away state secrets he was ready to bring you know create a rebel group and attack the government you know, these are fairly big charges right attacking government officials you know you arrest you attack a police officer and you attack a politician you're locked up right um, and then disbelieving in God, he's made him an outright disbeliever as well. So in the court, caliph's court, the letters read out and the caliph has asked for advice from his officials. Now, Hujr is respected, man. Hujr is a respected person. He's known for his piety. He's known for his good reputation. He's a veteran from many expeditions. He's, he's, fought, he's fought with the Prophet. He's fought with the um, first, the second, and the third caliph. This is a highly, highly respected person, right? So his official says, release him. This can't be, can't be true. Release him, let him live in Syria. And so... You know, um, the caliph was unsure what to do. 
So had Hujra and his sons and the others all imprisoned. And over a period of time, I didn't get into it much, but over a period of time, different people from the group of 12 or 14 were either condemned to be killed because they were absolutely, um, definitely uh, supporters of Ali and they definitely did, you know, call on war against the government and did definitely try to cause rebellion in the city. And so they were charged and condemned with that. Others were not and they were released. They were released to their family members on the condition that they would be responsible for them. And if they didn't, they would be arrested again. So over a period of time, you know, this, this group has dwindled down from 12 or 14 down to a group of about five or six. Okay. And, and also in that time, the caliph gets letters from the 70 people who were signed the letter. Now, the letter that was originally signed condemning him, saying he's a disbeliever, he's causing uh, government upheaval, etc., etc., was signed by 70 people by force. Ziyad, Ziyad, Ziyad made people, the noblemen, the chiefs, the government officials, the judges, the police officers, the military commanders, sign them. He said, look, you're going to sign this. So over a period of time, you know, these people who have been forced to sign have written their own independent letter to the government, uh, caliph and said, look, it's not true. Hujur is a man who prays regularly. He gives in charity. He performs the Hajj. He can... He, he condemns and forbids evil and enjoins the good. He's a righteous man. So the caliph is in this like stalemate. He's not sure what to do. But do you know, Ziyad, as I said, Ziyad became the second most powerful person in the Islamic history. Sorry, in the Islamic caliphate at the time. He was the person that was given the entire area of Iraq. And I'm not talking about Iraq that we're talking about today. Iraq wasn't that then. It was a big, bigger space of land. He was made the viceroy of the entire Eastern Caliphate, right? This guy was persuasive and influential. So as much as these letters are coming and as much as Caliph is not sure what to do, Ziyad is constantly badgering him. They, 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 they are absolute troublemakers. Have them executed. Have them dealt with. Don't believe the uh, other stories. Hajar is a bad man. That's what Ziyad is telling um, the Caliph. So, Muawiyah had to come up with a come up with a decision of what to do because he's got these men arrested and he's not sure what to do. So he decided what to do. He gave them an ultimatum. He gave Hujr and his sons an ultimatum. Renounce Ali and you will be freed. If not, you will be executed. The next day, Hujr, his sons and the other prisoners were led outside because Hujr couldn't renounce Ali. He couldn't renounce Ali because Ali had done nothing wrong. I mean, let me put this into into a different light for you. In, into kind of this is Hujr wasn't a hardcore Shiite. He wasn't that person. He simply didn't want to curse somebody. So. She, He's now holding on to his principles. He's holding on to his beliefs. And he's been given this ultimatum. And he said, no, I'm not going to stand down. Ali, I'm not going to renounce him. I'm not going to curse him. He was the prophet's family. He was a righteous man. He is the caliph. Or he was the caliph. And I will not renounce him. So the next day they lead him out. 
They lead all of them out. And the guard says to him again, look, man, you are such a righteous person. I can't. I don't want to do this. I work with a caliph. I have to do this. All you have to do is renounce Ali and you will be free. Just renounce him now and I'll free you myself, the guard said. Hujra said no. So the guard said, look, okay, just praise Uthman. Uthman is from the same tribe as Muawiyah. So he said, just praise Uthman, the, the third caliph. Just praise him and you'll be freed. And Hujra said, no. I can't honor Ali and curse those who renounce him, he said. So just before now he's going to be executed, he has to make ablution, which is wudu. And the guard obviously granted that to him. His last wish, of course you can. So he made, he, a basin of water was brought to him and he made wudu. And then he said, look, I've never in my life done ablution, wudu, except that I've done two prostrations afterwards. I did two units of extra nuffle, super, um, I can't say the word, <laughs> of extra prayers afterwards, nuffle prayers. So the guard said, do them, do them. You're going to be executed, so do them. And so Khudr did prayers and the guard said, and when he finished his prayers, the guard said, I see that those prayers were a bit longer. Scared of death, are you? Hujr said, they were the shortest prayers I've ever done. I would have done my normal length or longer had I thought if you would think that I'm delaying my execution. I'm scared of death. So the guard is about to um, execute Hujr. And Hujr has one more request. He says, execute my sons before me. And the guard is shocked. What kind of father wants his sons to be killed before him and delays his own death? But he, he, he accepts his request. And remember, Hujr is a, a heavyweight, you know, he's a really respected person. So they do. They bring Hujr's two sons in front of Hujr. And they behead him. They behead both of them. Because they chose not to renounce Ali. And Hujr, this righteous man who's lived with the Prophet. And through all of this time. He has to witness his two sons being executed. Purely because he didn't. He held on to a belief. And the guard said. Are you ready to be killed now? Now that you've had your sons killed. He said the only reason I've asked my children to be killed before me is that I didn't want the fear of death or the horrific sight of seeing their father executed give them the fear of death and they renounce Ali out of fear what a man let me just say that again he said the only reason I've asked my two sons to be killed before me and I've seen them be executed is I didn't want them to see their father be executed they fear death and they say yes Ali is the um, um, Ali and Uthman and started cursing them uh, sorry, I started cursing Ali and praising Uthman what a man yeah so Hujra's head has been put onto the block and Hujra hears the, 
sword being raised and then the gushing sound of wind as it came crashing down on his neck. The words that he recited 36 years previously crossing the river Tigris have come ringing true. No soul shall taste death except by the command of God. I wish that was the end of the story. I wish that Hujr ibn Abi Adihi had been elevated to God and is in a place of peace. But unfortunately, unfortunately that was not the case. As I mentioned in 2013, the Sunni Syrian Free Army, the soldier from it, thought a good way to further insult the Shia Muslims and really bring further humiliation to the people would be to desecrate the shrine of Jur ibn Hadihi. And so they did. Google it. Hujr H-U-J-R Ibn Adihi A-D-H-I I don't know if that's his picture. I think it is. <laughs> they took him. They took him out and they took a picture. Hujr died for his love of Ali and his commitment to speak the truth. And he was punished twice for it. Once by Muawiyah and Ziyad and another time by the Sunni Muslim army, the Free Syrian Rebel Army. He was killed in Majraha, Ad, Majr Adraha, which is about a few kilometers outside of Damascus. And I haven't been able to confirm this. I got it from one source. But the source is a... See, when I did this research, it was from um, three main places. One of them, I have to actually... I should have actually quoted him at the beginning. Is a man called Muqtafi, Muqtafi Ismail. He's an Islamic historian. He runs podcasts like this. And it's from him I originally heard this story. So I verified everything. And I verified it from two, two sources. One was Sunni Muslim sources. And the other was Shia Muslim sources. Unfortunately though, the Shia Muslims have elevated him. Because he's someone who died in the cause of supporting Ali. So they've really elevated him to a very high plateau. And it's hard to disseminate the truth between facts because some of it, even, you know, you can't, I can't commit this actual fact because they elevated him so much. But regardless, Shia sources say that he led the conquest into Damascus anyway. And then he was killed there, but years later. If that's the case, and I need to check it actually, but it was Yazid. Um, which is Muawiyah's brother was the orig original governor in Damascus when it was liber when it was um, uh, expanded into the Muslim Empire, and then when Yazid died, it was his brother Muawiyah who took over it, and he ruled there for a good thirteen years or so, um, and created a army that was absolutely loyal to him, and then when Ali um, took the caliphate. He challenged the caliphate from Ali 
and had a strong enough army to fight him. But it wasn't just that, it was also it was also the handling of the death of Uthman. That was a key instigator. See, Uthman wasn't that popular even with Sunni Muslims. Their people questioned, although they praised him for his righteousness and goodness, they they challenged and challenged his leadership skills and brought that into disrepute really. Hujr ibn Adihi, he's from the Al-Kindah tribe, originally from Kufa, where he was born and he was raised. He converted to Islam at the hands of the Prophet, peace be upon him. So that's what makes him a Sahaba. He was a general in the Battle of Jamakan in Safin, and he even led his tribe. So back in the, before the army of the Muslims was made into a proper paid army, you would have the army made up of tribes of people and in order to get the best out of the army tri army segments they would say you know the Al-Kinda tribe is there the Quraysh tribe is there tribe X is there tribe Y is there and so these tribes would want to get to be the strongest the most powerful and be the best in the battlefield over and above that tribe so they would fight in tribes not in not in squadrons or in flanks and you know in in, in as an army would and he led his um tribe in the war in narrawan narrawan battle of narrawan yes and he also led, led them on the front left or the front right flank one of them in um, Ali's time, as Zakat ibn al-Quwais invaded Iraq and Ali sent Hujr to go and fight him off there. As I said, he was known for worshipping God with two units of prayer after his wudu. He was brave and he was courageous in battles. He was sincere and he was honourable. There are some records, and I need to put it out there because some records say that he didn't, he wasn't killed in Damascus, Adraha, outside Damascus. He was actually killed in Kufr, not directly by Muawiyah, but by Ziyad under the instruction of uh, Muawiyah. I don't know. Evidence leads to say he died in the circumstances I've described, but there are some records saying that Yazid had him killed. Well, Yazid killed him. He was known for his kindness towards his mother. And he was known for checking his mum's bed before she would go into bed for any criminal, uh, insects or any small little animals or anything like that. And he would rub his hands up and down the bed to make sure there was nothing there. Then he would say, mum, go into bed. As I said, he stuck to his principles. You know, in Islam, you can denounce something and with your mouth and you can you can still be a believer so i could say i if someone put a gun to my head and said denounce islam say that the prophet is not the prophet of god and there's not one god but two gods or i will kill you if they did that my life was in danger you know in islam i can i can say yeah 100 percent, i'm with you my man there's two gods and muhammad is not the prophet don't kill me my tongue had said it but my heart hasn't and that's allowed in Islam. So Hujr could have, he was given many opportunities and he could have said, I denounce Ali, I praise Uthman, and I save my life as a result of it. But he never, he was like, I'm sticking to it. I'm absolutely, I'm sticking to my principles.
you know, Muawiyah. And I'm, oh, people don't know this, do they? The people don't know the, the, the fitna. And I don't think they do. I didn't. And I'm actually annoyed with myself and just general history. I mean, Muawiyah was rebuked for killing Khujr humongously. His, the grandson of the Prophet Hassan, he, he, he renounced him and rebuked him and said, what are you doing? How can you kill Khujr? Aisha, the mother of the believers, wrote to Muawiyah and said, you killed Khujr and his companions? Where was your tolerance? And, and you know the Shias say that there's a hadith and I haven't verified it in a Sunni source but the Shias say there was a hadith that Aisha said that a group of people would be killed in Damascus specifically Adraha and the sky would be saddened and Allah would be upset related, re related to obviously Khujr Muawiyah um, did regret the killing of Khujr and at the time of his death, he is reported to have said, O oh, Khujr, my day in front of God will be a long one because of you. Meaning that God's going to judge him extensively for this. He was killed in 660 CE, which equates to 51 after Hijr in the Islamic calendar. And is reported that at the time of his death, he said, do not remove my chains and do not clean the blood from my body or my clothes. I will meet Muawiyah again and I will petition my case. May God have mercy on Hujr ibn Adihi. May God have mercy on Hujr ibn Adihi's two children and the other believers who have killed and more importantly, may God keep us away from such trials and tribulations. It is imagined by the Muslims that the time of the Caliphate, whether it's, you know, the first four righteously guided Caliphs or the Caliphs all the way up to the Abbasid um, period and dynasty, it is imagined that it was this glorious time of 1400 years of great for the Muslims and it all stopped when the Ottoman Caliph was um, killed or um, not killed but was um, his dethroned, his seat of power was taken and it's a lie I've already shown you at the time of the Abbasids how they were in fighting I'm showing you that at the time just after the Prophet peace be upon him there was this happening Righteous good people were being killed by other righteous good people. So may God protect us from these trials and tribulations. And let us learn from them. I hope I've done this story justice. I wanted to share the story of Hujr with a much wider audience. And you know, this podcast is going to be advertised hugely because I want the story of Hujr to be shared widely. A man, a Sahaba, a righteous man who died for what he believed in. And he didn't, he didn't, he didn't stand down in the, you know, in the size, in the face of trials and government pressure. And, you know, he wasn't silenced. He could have done. He could have just said, yeah, 
of Adil Nans Ali, really bad caliph. Hate him, hate him, absolutely hate him. I love Uthman. He would have been letting let go. He could have done. So what lessons can we take in modern times? How can we speak up for ourselves? How can we not be um, silenced by pressure of other people? So that's the Islamic History 2020 podcast. You've been listening to your host, Mohammed Alamgir. I am on Spotify. I'm on Overcast, Anchor. Um, I am on the iTunes. Search Islamic History 2020. Find me and like it, share it, share it with your friends. Let's get these Islamic stories out to a wider audience and let's Let's fill in those gaps in history because I'm certainly, if you live in the West like I do, Islamic history is very, 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 very shallow when it comes to teaching in schools and teaching in general public environments. You know, there's not much of it. And when it is, they're known as the Saracens, they're known as the infidels, and they're known as like backward people from the Middle East and from the, from the East itself, when that is f- so far from the truth. So hopefully these podcasts are expanding out that knowledge a little bit, giving you a bit of insight into what was happening in the Middle East at that time of uh, at that time of um, at that time essentially at that time era of time, and I hope to have you again at the next Islamic History 2020 podcast. Assalamu alaikum. This is me signing out.